Football Podcast. What is going on, fantasy people? This is the True North Fantasy Football Podcast. You are back. I, of course, am Travis Seal with my co-host Tyrell McLaughlin. What's going on, Ty? Same old, same old. Got my audio back in check here. Hopefully it goes uh, a lot smoother this week. (laughs) Sounds money on my end, buddy. Sounds money on my end. Right on. So the fantasy playoffs, for the most part, are underway. How you feeling about that this week? How'd, how'd you do? Yeah, I'm looking good across my leagues. I got like three bye weeks and made the playoffs in like seven out of eight my league. So looks really good. How about you? Beautiful. Um, not as high percentage wise. I'm in the playoffs in four of my five home leagues, which are the ones where I get to do my best bragging and shit talking. And uh, as far as Twitter leagues, I think I'm probably about 50-50 playoffs in those. I had a pretty up and down year, but uh, there's a lot of teams where I came back from like 0-3 and, and got playoff spots, so I'm pretty happy about that. Right on. What do you want to talk about tonight? Oh, buddy, we should dive into it pretty quick here because we got lots and lots to cover. We're going to do our week 13 takeaways today. So we're going to talk about a bunch of guys who gave her bunch of guys who took five this week we're going to talk about some situations that unfolded uh, maybe some committees and as far as backfields and some lots of wide receiver stuff this week so uh, should we kick it off right away yeah let's hit all these kind of muddy situations absolutely we're going to be uh, putting our rubber boots on and getting through that muck with uh, with our listeners tonight Skrilla Villa so we're going to start, uh, we're going to talk a little bit of QB news. There's, you know, there's been a couple of debuts. We had a couple of returns. So we're going to start with the debuts. We're going to start with Drew Locke. He had his first start uh, for the Denver Broncos. It was actually a pretty down to the wire football game. Um, Locke looked up and down. What did you think about Drew Locke's first start? Yeah, it was pretty successful for first start. And especially compared to like the perception of Drew Locke going into that game, even from myself, like I don't have a lot of faith in him as a, as a prospect. Uh, feels like only Denver does, but yeah, he looked really good. It, it was a lot of Cortland Sutton. That's for sure. He made, uh, Drew Locke look good. Uh, as far as what I saw, you know, the running backs, it, it was the same trends we saw under Brendan Allen before that. It was just a lot more Philip Lindsay, a little bit less, uh, Royce Freeman and just a little bit less use in the passing game. Uh, we'd really like to see the targets go up for the running backs. Uh, what, what did you see with Drew Locke? Yeah, much of the same. Actually, he he looked kind of fun to watch. He was throwing a lot of like weird arm angles, and he'd he'd dip it down to the side a bunch. He had a really weird cross body throw. So, he, you know, he looked like he was getting out of the pocket and getting away from pressure, and still looking down the field. So you kind of want to see him continue to do that, of course. But not somebody I'm really looking at for fantasy necessarily. Um, let's keep an eye on him going into the future. But to move into the weapons, much like you said, we do want to see a lot more passing work out of those running backs. Philip Lindsay only had three targets in that game, and he looked really, really good in that game as far as making people miss and getting through the line of scrimmage. So we want to see more of that from Philip Lindsay and just kind of get the ball in his hands and more. It's going to be the Lindsay show as far as rushing work, though. He's kind of he's kind of a lock for 15 to 20, 20 carries, so we like that. But like we said, we want to see that passing work go up. And then as far as the wide receivers, it was nice to see Cortland Sutton still sustain some usability with Drew Locke in there. He had four catches for 74 yards on five targets, which, you know, that's his lowest target number of the season. But he did have the two touchdowns, which were fantastic. Um, Really, really nice touchdowns. What did you think about Sutton's day? 
Yeah, the touchdowns were awesome. The first touchdown was an amazing one-headed grab on with Casey Hayward just draped all over him. That was amazing. And the second one was a touchdown in the green zone, like inside the 10-yard line. Uh, and yeah, I thought it was interesting. You said that he had the fewest targets. Uh, he's actually been in between six and nine targets in every game before that. Uh, he had had no double-digit target games. So it, it's just weird because after the Emmanuel Sanders trade, uh, we kind of expected his volume to go up, and it just hasn't really happened with Cortland Sutton. And the, my other thing is just heading forward, they do have the Texans this week, and they have the Chiefs in Week 15. Uh, both those teams can allow big points to the wide receiver position, so we just have to monitor those targets because it is interesting that he had his lowest target total of the year under Drew Locke in his first start. Yeah, definitely. And those two matchups actually can be somewhat fruitful for the running backs as well. So uh, much like we said, we want to see continued work out of Lindsay. We want to see that. Um, and I think right now we can both agree that Royce Freeman is bench fodder at the moment. Yeah, totally. You can even drop him, I think. Yeah, depending if you if you have the roster spot and you need you really need something else, then you can you can feel good dropping Royce Freeman. We had another rookie quarterback, this time an undrafted one, uh, David Blau. He kind of sounds like uh, the old rap tunes, like Blau, you know what I mean? Blau. Um, <laughs> blau, blau. Uh, um, but anyway, you know, he... Blau. Blau. <laughs> Um, he had, a, you know, he had a decent start to that game. He looked pretty damn good in the first quarter and it fell apart a little bit there. He was playing a really, really good defense in Chicago. So what did you take away from that uh, Turkey Day start for the Detroit Lions? Yeah, it was, a, it was a good win for Detroit on Turkey Day. It was awesome. And, you know, David Blau isn't like the most faceless guy. He did beat Dwayne Haskins and Ohio State uh, last year with Purdue. So he has a little bit of fanfare from at least from like college guys. Uh I don't know, maybe we, let's just head right into the weapons because Kenny Galladay, he did go all day, at least for fantasy in week 13 there. He was slumping, headed into that game after four 100-yard receiving games under Matt Stafford. We needed that game that we saw in week 13 from Kenny Galladay. Uh, he had about the same number of receiving yards against the Bears this week as he did in the three games since Stafford went down combined. Like, I'm not relying on wide receiver one numbers going forward with Kenny Galladay. Uh, he was a borderline wide receiver one under Matt Stafford. But since then, he's averaging less than six targets a game. So I just I don't have a ton of confidence in Kenny Galladay, even though I want to. I do love Kenny Galladay. What what's your confidence level in him? Are you looking to start him as like a wide receiver one or two? Or well, I think uh, there might be some rosters where you have to start him as your wide receiver one, and I wouldn't be terribly. I wouldn't be not confident in that necessarily uh, just because it, it only takes a couple plays with him. He's a monster. It's all about the quarterback play, but. With the other options that they have on this this offense, I think it's still going to funnel towards both of these wide receivers. So I think they're still going to hold up some value. Um, just maybe temper a little bit of the expectations. Uh, but I think the targets are still probably going to be there. Yeah, and it's, it's just one of those things where it's really tough when he is your wide receiver one or two and you you, you can't rely on the, the floor, basically. He might give you a low week. And it, it's just difficult because it's hard to build upside around a lineup like that because... You can get really low weeks in total and just bomb your your whole fantasy matchup. Uh, but it's interesting in week in week fourteen, the Lions go to the Vikings for whatever reason. Kenny Galladay has really struggled against Xavier Rhodes, who actually he might be hurt uh, in week thirteen there. Uh, but he he put up a season worst three point four points against him in week seven, and over four career games against Minnesota, Kenny Galladay averages under eight points per game in PPR. So. You know, he does have a tough matchup coming up this week. Uh, in week 15, the Lions play Tampa Bay, so we can fire up Kenny G in that matchup as a top 20 wide receiver for sure. 
And in, but in week 16, again, they go to Denver and Galladay is going to see Chris Harris all game. So, you know, we've, we've kind of done this dance before, but you know what, instead of asking you, let's talk about Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay. I just want to know really quick. What do you think Kenny Galladay's ADP is going to be next year with, if Matt Stafford's back over under like the third or fourth round turn? Ooh, I would probably say he'll be inside that third round. Yeah. He'll probably be in the third round there. Um, Yeah, he looked really, really good with Stafford earlier. That being said, if the situation stays the same, I might still take Marvin Jones over him based on the draft value. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be interesting where Marvin Jones goes. Yeah, like if Marvin Jones is like a fifth rounder again, like he was a couple of years ago, I'll definitely be way off Marvin Jones. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. He he's yeah, it, recently same. Marvin Jones has had the advantage over Kenny Galladay in targets, air yards, touchdowns, and like all that's just since the new quarterback play in Detroit. So, you know, I, I think he's been kind of lucky in the touchdown department outside of his touchdowns. He has 22 targets in the last three games as well, but he hasn't had a single game with 50 yards receiving. Uh, so when talking about Marvin Jones now, I think we're just relying on touchdowns from questionable quarterback play. And, you know, even though he is good in that area of the field, I just, I think the whole thing's odd that Detroit is leaning more on Marvin Jones than Galladay right now. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, it, it's really hard to go off of their previous red zone work because of the quarterback's, um, you know, turmoil, I guess you want to call it. Uh, Marvin Jones does have a little bit of the edge in the red zone work. Um, but like you said, you don't really know what's going to happen with these quarterbacks. Um, that could skew towards Kenny Galladay just as easily. You know, I think they are a good group to have, but definitely for the rest of this season, we're tempering our expectations a little bit. And then looking forward, we want to keep an eye on what they're going to be in drafts next year. Yeah, and I I just really don't like that Week 16 Galladay matchup with Chris Harris. And the other note is TJ Hawkinson is on the IR now. He had 11 targets in Week 13, led the team. So, you know, he hasn't been very useful for fantasy since Week 1. But TJ Hawkinson having 11 targets in Week 13, going to the IR now. There is target upside to be had, I guess. Um, It's definitely not going to the running backs. Not to mention people don't have to get sucked in by starting TJ Hawkinson in their lineups. (laughs) So I know some people were still in that boat. Mm -hmm. Okay, should we move on to the next quarterback? Sure. All right, you had a note calling it the red return, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, The red return, Andy Dalton back in the fold for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, Andy Dalton scraped the Bengals to a win. Uh, They're now the only one-win team in the NFL. Travis, there's only one team sitting at two wins as well. Do you know who would that be? Uh, The Washington Redskins? That is incorrect. That is incorrect. Would that be, no, Miami, no. You can have one more guess, and then I'll tell you. I'll give you a hint. They drafted a quarterback last year. Oh, the Arizona Cardinals? That is incorrect. It's the New York Giants. Oh, shit, yeah. I know. How bad are the Giants? interesting yeah eh? pretty bad yeah but yeah so Andy Dalton came back it's good for your boy Tyler Boyd Um, he had double digit targets once again he was saved a little bit by that touchdown but I think the usage is kind of what we were looking for there um, because we know that he can be productive as long as he gets good volume Uh, is he back to wide receiver two status in our lineups and not just our hearts or what Yeah, I mean, he's definitely the big winner of the Dalton return. He was the wide receiver 16 under Dalton in the first eight weeks of the season, and he's he's still averaging over 10 targets a game in this condensed pass-heavy offense right now. Uh, And yeah, it was awesome to see him score in Week 13 too. And if you saw Yuzuma drop like a wide-open touchdown, maybe they start to look at Boyd more in close. He has been efficient in the red zone in his career. Uh, For for me, yeah, Tyler Boyd continues to be a top 
20 wide receiver with Andy Dalton in there. And you can rely on those numbers going forward. Uh, their strength schedule is good in week 14 and 16, just not in week 15 against the Patriots. Yeah, in weeks 14 and 16, they have the Cleveland Browns and the Miami Dolphins, respectively. So I totally agree that you can start them up as your wide receiver, too, and you should be happy about that. Um, moving into the backfield, though, uh, not a huge uptick for Joe Mixon. We did see four targets, which was lovely. I really like seeing those targets when Joe Mixon gets them. Uh, four targets is actually his second highest on the season, so five is his highest. So it's not too bad. His most receptions with four. Uh, so we like that, but he didn't have the greatest fantasy day. He did get a touchdown. Uh, what do you think about Joe Mixon going forward for the Bengals? Yeah, I mean, he was not a huge winner in the in the red return. At least, unless we forget, in weeks one to eight with Dalton, that quarterback Mixon was the running back 31. And in week 13, you said he didn't have an increase in targets with Andy Dalton back. That continues to be just shameful. Uh, but he, he got in the end zone again. Uh, but Mixon, he has almost exactly 17 points in PPR in four of the last five games. And uh, I don't know. Mixon's just kind of, it, it's it's complicated. And yeah, it's kind of, Mixon's kind of complicated. Like, we'll hit a lot of strength of schedule down the stretch for players. You'll notice it's because we have a larger sample size to draw on at this point in the season. Uh, playoffs for fantasy are important, right? And there's mm-hmm. there's more nuance than just saying a player is an RB3 or RB2 with upside and you know, Joe Mixon's kind of a perfect example of that because we mentioned they have the Patriots in week 15 and then Miami in week 16. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch going down the stretch because, you know, it could impact his dynasty value if he does have good weeks, um, you know, going into startup drafts next year. But for me, I you know, I just want to see some continued work in the past game and... I think as far as putting him in your lineup in the fantasy playoffs, uh, you know, at this point with the running back position, there's so many injuries, you know, there's so many ambiguous situations where there's two, three guys you got to pick from and you got to try and pick the right guy. I think you could still do worse than starting Joe Mixon in your fantasy playoffs because we know he's getting that volume and we know he's pretty much the only guy that has any chance of putting up any points for the Bengals in the backfield. Yeah, I'll be looking to start him in Week 16 against the Dolphins for sure. And I, I think one more guy we got to hit in this Cincinnati backfield is John Ross. Top 10 John is back in the fold. Uh, John Ross has played in less than 50% of his game since being drafted, eh? Yeah, that's you know not what you're looking for out of the ninth overall pick. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think with the lack of other options in the passing game, you never really know what he could do when he comes back. Um, I'm still not that sold on John Ross, even though what he did early in the season. Yeah, I mean, I think him and Auden Tate are going to kind of battle for a role. Depends how this offense wants the game plan in each individual game. Uh, he did play four games this season, all with Dalton and John Ross was the wide receiver 15 in PPR. Uh, but, you know, let's be real. Let's look at it. Ross lit the league on fire in weeks one and two this year. It's hard to remember that far back, I know. Uh, he was the wide receiver two overall heading into week three. Uh, and those games were against the Seahawks and the 49ers. The 49ers have killed wide receivers this year. Uh, only two wide receivers have 100 yards receiving against them all season. One is John Ross week two. The other is Tyler Boyd <laughs> week two, mm. week two. Uh, nice. And yeah, we talk about it. The strength of schedule is tough for running backs and wide receivers. Cleveland is not a good matchup for running backs. It's not very good for wide receivers either but yeah Miami could be a John Ross explosion or any other week who knows with John Ross I guess yeah yeah it's uh interesting to see I can't see myself pulling the trigger on putting John Ross in my lineup though unless he comes out and gets a lot of work before that he was a wide receiver too in weeks one and two 
Yeah, that, that was a long time ago. In weeks three and four, I think he was the wide receiver 70-something. I can't remember exactly. It was 70-something. <laughs> That's so John Ross of him. Yeah, totally. Um, one thing, too, you mentioned Auden Tate, and I was just looking at some numbers earlier. Auden Tate has 14 red zone targets right now. Yeah, and he has a lot of end zone targets, and he, he's been using that area of the field heavily. And C.J. Uzuma shouldn't be. He's He can't catch. I was kind of hopeful for Uzama to be kind of a sleeper tight end coming in, but the irony is he might he might have had his best game in Week 13. He just <laughs> dropped a wide open touchdown. Like I don't know if he thinks he's an Eagles tight end or what. Right? Oh, okay, <laughs> all right, uh, moving right along here. <laughs> that was a layup. Okay, and I know you're excited for this next guy. Minshew Mania is back on. We are back with Gardner Minshew, Ty. Yeah, the world is right again. Uh, he should have. It just like yeah, he he's a better quarterback right now than Nick Foles, in my opinion. Uh, for fantasy, we can remind people what the offense looked like vaguely under his guidance in weeks one to nine. Uh, Minshew was the quarterback twelve, so technically a quarterback one. Uh, Leonard Fournette was the running back five overall, technically a top five running back. Uh, DJ Chark was the wide receiver nine overall, so a top ten wide receiver, and nobody else was inside the top forty. Not. Uh, D.D. Westbrook, not Chris Connolly. Uh, it was kind of disappointing outside of those those three guys for fantasy. Yeah, I think we kind of expect more of the same of what we saw from Minshew earlier in the season. Uh, it's going to be a heavy load of D.J. Chark, and I think the other two, Connolly and Westbrook, are probably going to flip-flop a little bit, and we look for Leonard Fournette to maintain the workload that he's been getting, uh, and we definitely want to see those targets sustain from what uh, what Leonard Fournette's been getting. Well, those they're a little unsustainable, these uh, double-digit targets uh, back-to-back well, weeks. Well, <laughs> maybe not the 11 targets he got in week 13, but yeah. I'm just bugging you. Yeah. <laughs> give, me, give me five to eight a week. Yeah. Sign me up for that. And, you know, like it's just a tip, tip in the cap. You know, we talked about that in the offseason with TJ Eldon leaving over 100 running back targets in this backfield and how, you know, Leonard Fournette's had a little bit underrated usage in the passing game for fantasy. All right, so you want to get into some backfields and we'll talk running backs for a bit here? I'm in. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. All right, so let's go to the Monday night matchup. Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. This was a pretty intriguing one going into the week after Rashad Penny had a good week 12. Uh, you know, we saw some some dual usage, uh, some dual productivity. So what did, you, uh, what did you bring out of the Seahawks matchup in their backfield? I think the, the backfield's kind of a duel right now between Carson and Penny. <laughs> I really do. Uh, I, I challenge th- I, you to a duel. <laughs> yeah. I challenge you to a duel. I challenge you to a duel. I accept your challenge. Um, Chris Carson, he continued to have the faith of the coaching staff, uh, which surprised me. You know, He left the game early with an injury, which was also surprising. I thought he was kind of gone. I didn't see him. The next thing I knew, he ran in a touchdown there in the mm-hmm. first half. Uh, clearly, they're comfortable with Carson at the goal line still. This whole combo about Rashad Penny, it spurred from Carson's fumble concerns. Uh, he's already had the most fumbles since any running back since Peyton Hillis. Uh, the Seahawks even entrusted him with game-clinching carries on Monday Night Football. Like, he was the guy getting the first down at the end of the game there to clinch it. It was it was really strange. And he, mm-hmm. he had another big game for fantasy. Carson's now over 18 fantasy points in 50% of his games this year. Uh, so, after this game, it looks like... it. it it, it looks like all is well for Carson, and he is the running back one he's been all year for fantasy owners. Uh, but, you know, he, 
I'm just I I'm kind of sketched out about him. I I I still have that like not in my tummy. He does also have the most games I heard on Monday Night Football on the broadcast. Uh, the most games over the last two years with 100 yards and a touchdown among all running. Yeah, players. I saw that too. I think that's seven games he has. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. That's I wonder. Impressive. I think it's eight now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, it was a pretty interesting split. Uh, Rashad Penny had 15 carries. Rashad Penny had 15 carries and Chris Carson had kind of his usual workload. Uh, so Pete Carroll definitely doesn't hold a grudge for very long. Uh, I think we remember Chris Carson got doghoused earlier in the season for a fumble and Pete Carroll went away from him for the rest of the game. And, you know, we saw that rear its ugly head again in week 12. But I think this this offense can kind of hold up to running backs. If we look at their rushing attempts, they had their most rushing attempts all season. If you take out quarterback runs they had 38 attempts uh, for the running backs so that's beautiful and that's definitely plenty of work to kind of keep those two giving fantasy production Uh, it was actually their first game over 200 rushing yards as well so in real football that's a great recipe and I think for fantasy football if we want to dial in on this backfield I think we can start to get a little more confidence there yeah agreed and I think for Rashad Penny uh, my takeaway the best part was that he had five targets in this game he had five targets all season prior to this game so you know he's coming off back-to-back games with 100 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown so I, I, I he's definitely trending up you mentioned the rush attempts they, they're constantly ahead above 30 rush attempts as a team every every week so you know I do think they might be able to support two running backs it, it could be as we saw this week though at the expense of uh, Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf on a given week though yeah, I think you're totally right. Those five targets. I mean, Tyler Lockett only had five targets on his own. He caught one. So, I mean, that's five more targets that could have gone to Tyler Lockett. So it's interesting to see how much Rashad Penny is worked into the passing game after having just that one game in week 13 to see if that's a trend or if maybe that was an anomaly. Yeah, and you know, I think it might be a trend because if you look at the strength of schedule, they have some run funnel defenses coming up. They play the LA Rams with Jalen Ramsey and players like that in their secondary. They're going to be forced to run the ball. And Carson had 19 points in PPR in week five against the Rams. He was the running back 10 that week. And week 15, they go to Carolina. The Carolina Panthers bleed fantasy points to running backs. Mm -hmm. They're just the worst. Uh, even better, they allow multiple running backs to be fantasy viable. Uh, you know, we just saw Adrian Peterson and Darius Geis tear them up. Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray the week before. Uh, week 16 is a home game against Arizona. Carson had 18.5 PPR points in week four. He was the running back 13 earlier in the season against Arizona. It's just another absolute cake matchup. So, yeah, Carson, I think it'd be silly not to trust him as a top 15 running back. And I think Rashad Penny is a top 20, top 24 running back for sure. Like he's a, he's, he's a golden flex right now. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. He could turn into a league winner um, if he keeps up this pace. And much like you said with that schedule, Carolina, Arizona, Carolina has given up 25.8 points per game to running backs, and that's half point. And Arizona gives up the 10th most. So I think that's a fantastic schedule, and I don't think you can really look for anything better out of you know somebody who's probably a running back two on your roster too, as long as your running back one has kind of stayed through the season with you. He's probably a running back two for you, and he's putting up easy running back one numbers. So I like I like Carson going forward a lot. Yeah. So let's move into another team here. Let's go to the Cleveland Browns because they continue to be super polarizing and, you know, we continue to have faith that they will be a team we want fantasy pieces from. So let's hit the running backs here. Kareem Hunt versus Nick Chubb. 
Uh, Cream Hunt continued to flash in this game. He had seven forced missed tackles in this game. His touchdown was so nice. Uh, Cleveland lined up Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry on one side, ran Cream Hunt his route on the opposite side, and then Hunt broke a couple tackles with these, got him for the score. It was awesome. He's been more efficient than Nick Chubb, heavily used in the passing game. Hunt's been used more like creative than Nick Chubb and in the hurry up offenses and other packages that are helpful for fantasy. What What's your takeaway right now after four games seeing these guys together? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear what they're going to be used for. Uh, like you said, Kareem Hunt's been used super creatively. Uh, he's been used a lot in the red zone. They're actually both being used a fair amount together on the field. So we like seeing that, um, you know, in those four weeks since Kareem Hunt has been back, Nick Chubb's the running back 10 and Kareem Hunt's the running back 11 in PPR since Kareem Hunt came back. So that's pretty solid production out of a single backfield. And then, you know, if you look at uh, if you look at their stats over the last four weeks, it's pretty clear what the roles are. Nick Chubb's got 84 rush attempts to Kareem Hunt's 25, where Nick Chubb has 11 targets to Kareem Hunt's 25 targets. Uh, so we know what they're going to be used for, and it looks like they can kind of sustain it. Chubb's getting that 15 to 20 carries per game. Uh, his targets definitely have taken a hit. Um, and then you can expect those 10 to 15 touches per out of Kareem Hunt. Uh, he has averaged six targets in those four games. So I think there's, you know, there's lots to go around in that Cleveland backfield. And they might be able to get you to a title with that schedule. And yeah, Nick Chubb is still the man. With Cincinnati and Arizona on the horizon for Cleveland, I'm I'm not going to panic on Nick Chubb. Like you you said it with the schedule, and you said it with you know is he's averaging twice as many touches still as Kareem Hunt. Uh, he's averaging over 110 yards from scrimmage in those four games with Kareem Hunt too. So I'm really not that worried about Nick Chubb. He he's been a little bit of a letdown relative to early in the season what he was giving us in fantasy, but it's really just been against the Steelers. It's funny, both his games he disappointed for fantasy since Kareem Hunt returned were against the Steelers. And the strength of schedule over the next two weeks is just amazing. It could support two high-end running backs for fantasy. They could both be top 12 running backs still going forward. They play Cincinnati and Arizona. Those are both just smash spots. Last year, Chubb ate against the Bengals, and their two matchups he combined for over 250 yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns. And Arizona just has touchdown upside written all over it for Nick Chubb. But even in Week 16, Fantasy Football Championship, Nick Chubb having Baltimore on the schedule, it looks really frightening. Uh, but Nick Chubb was the running back one overall against them in Week 4. He was the nuts at running back. Uh, Nick Chubb put up almost 40 points against the Ravens in that game. So against the grain, gimme Nick Chubb is like a, a solid running back one down the stretch. Yeah, I think that's pretty sound, man. He's going to get that work like we both mentioned there. Um, and, and like I said, you know, he's been the running back 10 in the last four games since Kareem Hunt uh, came back. So uh, I think we can both pretty confidently say that these guys are pretty startable going forward. And even Kareem Hunt in that week 16 matchup, you know, I think the way they're using him, getting him out in space, putting him in the slot, I think that can still give you some fantasy points in your fantasy championships as well. Yeah, and you you mentioned solidified roles. Let's go from Cleveland. Let's go to Kansas City here where we don't necessarily have solidified roles. We have more questions than we have answers in this backfield. Uh, so with Damian Williams very much questionable for Week 14, Daryl Williams very unlikely to play for Week 14. We're left with just Shady McCoy, uh, the ageless wonder, and Darwin Thompson gets in the mix. Uh, what are you thinking with Kansas City, Trav? Well, I think, yeah, you were talking solidified roles. These roles are Play-Doh. It's, it's brutal. It's, it's really hard to know who's going to do what. These guys can all do a little bit of everything, actually. Um, it's just, you know, none of them are really emerging as the guy that Andy Reid wants to play, and a lot of that is due to injury. 
I think all these guys, as far as week 13, were kind of saved by touchdowns. Darwin Thompson had the touchdown. Uh, he did have the most work there. It's really tricky. I even heard Spencer Ware was coming back to the Chiefs with, with all these injuries. Uh, so I don't really want to have a piece of this backfield, which is not something I was saying early in the season. Yeah, I think I might be with you there. Like, I think, actually, that's a good point. We should We definitely have to monitor who they're working out when they bring in workouts. Uh, we have to monitor that for sure. Uh, it's totally a rare Andy Reid running back by committee we're witnessing here. It just continues to be the lead story in this backfield all year for fantasy, in my opinion. Uh, we do seem to be drilling at a well that's kind of at half depth, too. Like, the Chiefs have less of what we seek from this running back group norm in, in recent years. Like, Kansas City is just middle of the pack in red zone rush attempts as a team this year. Last year, the Chiefs had the third most rush attempts in the red zone, so... You know, I thought with Damian Williams out, the red zone work could shift to Daryl Williams, and it did look that way early. He also, Mm -hmm. you know, it just sucks that he left with an injury. But then we saw Shady McCoy, like, although he he somewhat bailed out owners with a touchdown, he had just 30 yards from scrimmage on just eight touches. And there is not an only show-in-town narrative, you know, because Darwin Thompson came in. You know, the offseason goat, my boy. I uh, drafted yeah. <laughs> him in a couple rookie drafts. Uh, he led the backs in touches and yards, and he didn't even see a target in the passing game, which he can also be very dangerous there. But he did see all the red zone work, basically. So I think he has the most upside, and he has all – he really has had the, the best upside in this whole backfield all season long. It just hasn't been realized. Yeah, you're spot on there, man. I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of avoiding these guys, um, especially if, if Damian Williams does come back in the next couple of weeks here. Like that's that's going to make it even worse. Um, it's just not one I want a piece of. So, you know, is that uh, can we move on from the KC backfield? All right. All right. So we got one that's a little bit more fun here. We got uh, the Buffalo Bills. Devin Singletary and Frank Gore. Devin Singletary looks like he's been ready to take that role over. Uh, Frank Gore's still lingering. Uh, I think, you know, they might want to get him some of those records and he's been knocking those off. So good on you, Frank Gore. Uh, what do you, what did you uncover with, uh, with the Buffalo backfield? Yeah. I mean, I saw Josh Allen look really good. Uh, that's for sure. I, I really tip my cap to him. Uh, you know, when it comes to the running backs, though, Devin Singletary is still splitting. He's still seeding short down red zone and goal line work to Frank Gore. And Josh Allen is the biggest vulture ever. Uh, check this out, Trev. Frank Gore has two rushing touchdowns this season. Singletary has two rushing touchdowns this season. Josh Allen has eight rushing touchdowns this season. It's it's just crazy. And the last warning sign for Buffalo is the schedule. The passing work hasn't really been there, and I don't expect it to be robust with Josh Allen as a quarterback. Uh, but the Bills have the Ravens, Steelers, and Patriots. All three are top 10 and just really stingy against running backs for fantasy and every other position for that matter. And, you know, my other big takeaway from the Buffalo game in Week 13, at least, was the Beasley revenge game. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was kind of sweet to see. Yeah, I wish he would have went and stood on the star or something. <laughs> Mooned him. <laughs> that would have yeah. been sick. But yeah, I mean, not much to say as far as this backfield, because like you said, that schedule is brutal. I wouldn't say fully avoid starting Devin Singletary, but I think if you have better options with better matchups, I wouldn't be opposed to it because those matchups are pretty brutal. I mean, he has gotten 14 or more carries in four of the last five, so you'd like to see that. But just the one touchdown, and he's cleared 100 yards once, but that passing work isn't really there. So, um, you know, Devin Singletary could have good weeks for people, but I would be trying to look elsewhere if I have some solid options with better schedules. 
You know who his situation reminds me of is uh, Isaiah Crowell from like two or three years ago with Deshaun Kaiser there. It was just a, a kind of a poor situation for running back, even though he was breaking off a ton of big runs, you know what I mean? And I think he finished as like the a top 15 running back or something that year. Yeah, he totally that's like did. That's, totally, a, that's a really good little comparison. It's there. kind of just the the situation that he's in. Same, same feel, just a little bit better quarterback, I guess. Mm-hmm, yeah. So let's move along here and go to the Indianapolis Colts really quick. Let's hit their backfield. Uh, Jonathan Williams, another waiver wire, pulls a Houdini in week 13. Oh, man. Yeah, just ghost fantasy owners, as the kids would say. It really yeah. it really has been a tough run for waiver wires this season. Ty Johnson, Brian Hill, now Jonathan Williams. Like, nobody's coming through. Yeah, this is another kind of gross-looking backfield, man. I I picked up Jonathan Williams in a couple spots. Um, I actually picked up all three in one league, and I was hoping that I could rely on Jonathan Williams right now. Um, but it looks like him and Wilkins are kind of battling for the lead role, and I'm not necessarily sure that it's going to be Wilkins coming out of Week 13, um, and I don't really know what to think about Jonathan Williams. Uh, of course, you got Naheem Hines working in there with uh, with some passing game work, and he actually he got a rushing touchdown this past week and in the last four games he has six red zone rushing attempts uh, so I think Naheem Hines's usage even makes it more frustrating to own Wilkins and Williams but what do you think about these guys yeah I mean uh, to go off the rails really quick a little bit let's remember Eric Ebron is on the IR that kind of increases the touchdown upside for Colts running backs I think a little bit T.Y. Hilton also re-aggravated his injury he's week to week now so they could lean on the running backs down the stretch a lot I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to push T.Y. Hilton either. He's pushing 30, so don't push him. And Carlos <laughs> Rogers, he's done for the year, basically. He's just an extension of the running game. So there's a, there is a lot of arrows pointing up for this, this run game because the offensive line is the best thing the Colts have going for him. And it is really, we got to decide, Jordan Wilkins versus Naeem Hines. I know the roles are somewhat solidified when it comes to the passing work, but Jordan Wilkins has a lot of upside, too, in this backfield. And that's that's one side of the argument the other side is the schedule if you take a look at the schedule it's really tough uh, mm-hmm. uh, Indi- yeah like indianapolis plays tampa bay and new orleans in the next two weeks both teams are just eliminating running backs in fantasy all year they're both top five in points allowed and since their bye week in week seven the bucks have allowed just one touchdown to running backs and just four all all year to the position only one running back has over 80 yards rushing against tampa bay and the saints they're just as tough too but mm-hmm. I think for Naeem Hines owners, the Saints have actually allowed receiving touchdowns to running backs in three of the last four games, which is strange. Well, that's a nice little tidbit there. So it sounds like you think that Wilkins is the guy who's going to be getting the, the main rushing work in there? Yeah, I think I think he's going to have the early down upside, and I think that is a, a somewhat valuable role. I think Naeem Hines will be the player I'm ranking number one in this backfield if I'm doing like weekly rankings, right? But Hines, Hines just has the upside, and he's done it in the past with Marlon Mack out. He's had big upside, so... Wilkins is kind of just the guy you hope you grabbed a week ago because he he could be worth it just to flex him in week 16 uh, because they do have a good a very nice matchup in week 16 so you know he's clearly climbed Jonathan Williams and I like Jordan Wilkins a lot as a prospect so you know and I'm I, I, I was trying to get to it there I buried the lead on the schedule the Colts have the Panthers in week 16 and we talked a little bit how you know they, they're allowing the third most points to running backs this year and they're just lit up by Darius guys Adrian Peterson all that um so, you know, are you ranking it Naeem Hines, Jordan Wilkins, Jonathan Williams now? Mm, uh, Naeem Hines is number one for me as far as that backfield, but I'm still kind of waffling on the other two. I think, you know, unless we see somebody get like 
80% of the touches as far as running back carries, I won't really be confident even going into that week 16 game because I think those two tough matchups beforehand are going to kind of make it so we don't really know what's going to happen and we're not going to see any proven production to be able to confidently put these guys in. Uh, so, you know, unless I absolutely have to, I think I'm kind of almost leaning towards being out on the Colts backfield unless I see really, really defined roles the next two weeks. Right. And that's kind of what we were saying when Marlon Mack went down originally. And that's kind of the whole point. We have to wait and see what happens with Marlon Mack, if they're going to bring him back in the regular season or not. Do you have any interest in these other guys? Because I mentioned all those injuries with T.Y. Hilton and uh, what's his face? Carlos Rogers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> any interest in Zach Pascal? He kind of has thought to himself. He's had some huge games this week, this year already. Yeah, he has had some good games this year, and he has looked pretty good at in certain spots. Um, you know, he's an interesting bench guy, um, but he's not somebody who I'm going to want to be relying on necessarily. I think as far as um, you mentioned Ebron's injury, I think Jack Doyle gets a little bit more reliable there. Uh, he had a pretty good game this past week, and, and I think, you know, he's a guy who I was looking at as maybe a tight end sleeper coming into the season, uh, and he's shown it with Jacoby Brissett before. So I'm looking more for Jack Doyle to emerge in his position group as opposed to Zach Pascal but I definitely see the intrigue in Zach Pascal yeah yeah like Jack Doyle his red zone upside just spiked big time his snaps won't though like people should realize that his snaps can't elevate too much higher he already plays about 70% of the snaps he's too old too fragile to be an every snap guy only a dozen tight ends play more snaps than Jack Doyle this season he's like 12th in snaps amongst tight ends Hmm. I did uh, not know that. I know, and, but it, he will see a spike in red zone targets. With T.Y. Hilton out, Eric Ebron out, their two best targets in that area of the field, how could they not? Uh, the Colts actually have a staggering pass-to-rush ratio that extends the touchdowns inside the 10-yard line this year as well. They pass inside the 10-yard line just way more than they run the ball. It's crazy. That's right. I think we saw that with a bunch of T.Y.'s early touchdowns coming in red zone targets as well. Okay, so why don't we move over to um, one of kind of my favorite backfields this year. It's It hasn't been the most clear as far as usage, but I think it's been a really fun one to watch, and that's the uh, the San Francisco backfield. Why don't I take it away with a little bit of Raheem Mostert here, because I know you got a little bit on the other piece of that backfield. Um, but is, uh, is Raheem Mostert, the Mostert Tiger, one of the best waiver wire fill-ins of the past couple of years or what? I don't know about the last couple of years, but definitely uh, like when it comes to this time of the year, uh, if you're trying to push for the playoffs and you got him uh, as somebody who was buried in the waiver priority or you're half out of fab or whatever, you're definitely thanking the lucky stars because I've started him in leagues in the last couple of weeks over Joe Mixon. So it's it's felt good. Yeah, can confirm that happened. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, obviously not the last couple of years like he's had steady production, but I think last year you could pull him off the waiver wire and you got a couple games out of him too. And, you know, he had a blow-up game against a great defense in the Baltimore Ravens in Week 13. Uh, he had 19 carries for a buck 46 and a touchdown. So that's pretty wicked. It's it's nice to see him, you know, he definitely deserves to get a shot somewhere. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be in San Francisco, uh, but I'm keeping an eye on him in Dynasty Leagues too because Matt Breida is a restricted free agent. And, you know, if Matt Breida goes away and uh, Jarek McKinnon finally goes away out of uh, San Fran because he's still lurking on IR, uh, I think, you know, Raheem Mostert could have a good role going into next season for Dynasty teams. He's getting kind of close to 1,000 yards from scrimmage. He's got like 660 yards right now. 
Yeah, and the, I, I love what you said there. I, I value him higher in Dynasty right now than I do in Redraft, to be honest. Like, I, I love him in Dynasty right now. And Tevin Coleman is extremely cuttable uh, when it comes to his contract. Raheem Moster, like, he's a former track star. He's so fast. And you, you mentioned his big week, 23 points. That wasn't even his highest total of the year. He had 24 points in week two. We've seen his high upside here. Uh, it was his first 100-yard game. That was awesome. And his efficiency has just been off the charts every time we've seen him in, in the NFL so far. But... You know, the elephant in the room could be Matt Breida. He should be back this week, I think. And I love me some Matt Breida. I hope nobody was dropping him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, so, actually, you, you mentioned I, I had some notes. I wanted to talk to Tevin Coleman because in typical Tevin Coleman fashion, he's been presented with a fantasy golden opportunity here recently. And in typical Tevin Coleman fashion, he struggled. Uh, he's been a total drag over the last five weeks. Six weeks ago, he had 37 points in that game against the Panthers. It was just off the charts. Just that one game equates to 30% of his fantasy points this season. Since then, Coleman has less than 13 points in every game. He's averaged just 8 points in PPR over the last 5 games. And Coleman averages just 7 points per game in the 6 games where he hasn't scored a touchdown this year. So, yeah, like Coleman is disappointed with Brita out. I, I don't want him in my lineup right now. And definitely not in Week 15 against the Saints, who have allowed only 4 touchdowns to running backs all season. So, you know, we we have to be worried about Tevin Coleman is what I'm saying. Yeah, man, I, I, you know, I think I would probably almost prefer to start Raheem Mostert if I know that Breida is not going to be in there. And then if Breida is going to be in there, I might almost prefer to start Matt Breida because he busts off big plays almost every couple games that he plays. And he was one of my favorite guys coming into the season and I'm rolling with him if he's out there. Yeah, the, like I think those are the two best running backs in the offense, in my opinion. And the, and the 49ers are an offense to grab running backs from. They average over 33 rushing attempts per game without a mobile quarterback. In the last five years, including this year, only four teams have run the ball over 33 times a game. The volume's off the charts. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. Even uh, old Jeff Wilson put in some some decent fantasy days for owners if they had the plums to start him. So uh, it's it's been a fruitful backfield, and it's been four deep this year at certain times. Yeah, like, and you, you nailed it there. To accentuate the committee mentality, in Week 7, Tevin Coleman had 20 carries. That's the only time a 49ers running back has had 20 rush attempts in a game. Although, Raheem Mostert did have 19 this past week. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, let's go. The Mostert Tiger. So moving along, you quickly mentioned uh, this guy earlier, and it's been a much-anticipated return. Darius Geis, he had a big week this past week. Um, Since week 11, he's actually been running back eight, and that's with only four receptions. So Darius Geis has shown pretty well since coming back. Uh, What do you you think about the Washington backfield, and and do you like Geis moving forward? I don't know. I really don't. I think Darius Geis falls into this weird category. I really loved him as a prospect, like absolutely loved him as a prospect, but he's had several knee operations. He hasn't looked as explosive as I think some people are making him out to look. Uh, he's hit some big holes, that's for sure, and accelerated. He's also been caught from behind on a couple big plays, uh, which I didn't think would ever happen to him. But I, I, I'm really he's going to fall into this category where I'm just going to leave him. I'm not going to touch him in redraft. I don't have him anywhere in Dynasty, so I'm just going to observe and kind of see how he looks. I think the other note is Chris Thompson is back. You know, he was outtouched by Adrian Peterson and he loses red zone work to Adrian Peterson as well. So, you know, we talked about Gore chasing some records. Adrian Peterson is in that same category. So with, you know, Chris Thompson's going to cap his targets and we're going to be relying on big plays. The interesting thing is though, like he, he could be the centerpiece of this offense. Like you could build the offense around him, see how it goes this down the stretch. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't know if they're going to do that because of his injury history. 
Yeah, and if I'm them, I don't know why you would give him the full workload just because of that injury history. If he is your running back of the future, you you know, you're not going to want to wear him out in these last few meaningless games. But as far as redraft purposes, if we do want to have a look, uh, you know, there are some teams that might be really hoping that he can smash for them because they're desperate at running back or they've had some tough injuries and whatnot. Um, this next matchup against Green Bay is really, really good. We know that they're terrible against the run. Uh, the week after is the Eagles, so I'm not playing him in week 15. And then in week 16 is a little trickier because the Giants look like a decent play, um, but they have gotten a little bit better, especially since they got Leonard Williams in the fold. In four of the last five games, the Giants have allowed under 80 rushing yards. So uh, that matchup's looking worse by the week, I guess you want to say, uh, with the Giants' improvements. So um, in the next game, I would play Darius Geis, but I would be a little bit careful in the following too, as far as those teams who might you know, really be hoping that they can rely on him. Okay, so getting into our last running back crew here, we started with one committee from Monday night's matchup, and we are going to finish the running backs with a committee from Monday night's matchup. Well, maybe not so much a committee, um, but the Minnesota Vikings, we saw that Dalvin Cook went down. Uh, it was first reported as a shoulder injury. Uh, we saw him come out and say that somebody hit him in that chest injury um, that he was questionable with going into the week he said he's going to be fine he said that you know if it were you know a, a, a game where they didn't really want to be cautious that he could have been back out there but it was precautionary um so yeah what do you think about the Dalvin Cook injury um I don't know I think they might be lying I don't know I actually think he's totally in doubt for week 14 I think his week 15 status could be in doubt I don't know number one Alexander Madison is the guy why we said it's handcuff season uh last episode of the one before but He's definitely like, you know, the he's been the primo handcuff all season. It could pay off big time here. But I just, it's such a valuable handcuff to have because they do lead the league in red zone rushing attempts this year, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, and Alexander Madison has a ton himself already this year. So the, the use in the passing game could be there as well for Alexander Madison. So if Dalvin Cook was to miss, Alexander Madison's going to be a top 12 running back automatically, uh, if not top five running back every week. So they they do have a playoff position locked down. It's just pretty much them battling for the wild card positioning between one another. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if they err on the side of caution for such a great player like Dalvin Cook, but who's also failed to play more than eight games in both those two years. Yeah, I, I don't think he's a lock for this coming week whatsoever. They play the Detroit Lions, who are going to be with a backup quarterback, either Driscoll or David Blau. Um, and we know how terrible the Lions are against the run. So I think they should be pretty confident that Alex Madison can hold down the fort. Um, just real quick on Dalvin, though, I kind of want to give him sort of a mini quick ups here just because Dalvin's had a fantastic season. And, you know, whatever happens with that injury, if he misses this game, if he misses a couple, um, I, I think he's had a solid year. So right now, Dalvin Cook is the running back three through week 13 um, he has over a thousand rushing yards already and he's tied for first in the league with 12 rushing touchdowns if we look at past years his season right now would rank as the running back nine in 2018 so that's dalvin cook's numbers through 13 weeks right now would rank as the running back nine last year and the running back seven the year before that so it's been pretty unreal uh, I think I think what we've really liked to see is that the receiving work has gone up. He's fourth in running back receiving yards. He's top 10 in running back targets and in receptions. And he's third in yards after the catch among running backs with 558 yards after the catch. And considering that his average target is a yard behind the line of scrimmage, that's pretty awesome. 
And lastly on Dalvin, you know, you mentioned that red zone work and how him and Madison have both had lots of work there. 11 of Dalvin Cook's 12 touchdowns have come inside the 20, which is really nice for a guy who um, could be kind of seen as a guy who breaks off big runs because of his speed, uh, but he is being used inside the 20. And then if you look inside the 10, he has... 10 touchdowns and inside the five, eight of those touchdowns are inside the five. So, you know, Dalvin Cook is doing it in the dirty areas. He's, you know, he's done everything this year. And I think, you know, I just kind of felt like giving Dalvin a little bit of a quick ups there. Yeah, well-deserved, well-deserved, merited. And, you know, <laughs> like just a note, he didn't perform very well in the underwear Olympics at the combine. So, well, we, we love the combine and we take a lot of that information as actionable. Not all of it is. And Dalvin Cook's a phenomenal example of that because he has some of the best bursts we've ever seen, really. And he's he, the broken tackles just can't be measured like the way he makes people miss just can't be measured very much. Totally. You think he's a top three running back going into next year? Uh I think he I think he'll be drafted as a top 3 running back going into next year. I think he very, I think he's an inarguable well I think he's an inarguable like top 5 6 running back. I just think if you're factoring in things like durability and situation, I just don't know if they can sustain this kind of offense they're running right now. It's so run heavy uh with all these two tight end sets and everything. We'll see how offenses who are running these kind of packages like San Francisco, like Minnesota, like Seattle, we'll see if they see defenses adjust to it, you know. We'll see. Even if they kind of kept that volume moving forward, I could easily see Alex Madison getting worked in. He's shown pretty well this year. And, you know, they want to save save Dalvin because he has a long injury history. I could see Alex Madison getting more of the work and it being kind of a two-headed attack. So um, definitely look for that in your dynasty leagues. But as far as if Madison were to play this year um, for, you know, the next couple games, uh, he, he has been really good. He has 86 rushing attempts and 15 of those have gone for over 10 yards. So that's 17% of his carries have gone for over 10 yards. And that's, you know, that's some really, really awesome big playability. Uh, so it'd be cool to see, you know, a couple games where he can get a full workload. Dalvin will be back, but Madison's probably going to be one of the biggest waiver wire pickups of this year if he gets uh, gets any extended work. Okay, so let's get away from the Vikings. Let's charge into some wide receivers here. I want to talk uh, a few wide receivers here that we have some question marks around because they're they're pretty high end players. Uh, so let's let's dive into them here. Let's start with Amari Cooper. We don't really know what happened. He might have a knee injury. Might not have a knee injury. He's probably going in week fourteen. But the Cowboys have been super inconsistent this year. Kind of there was no gravy for fantasy owners on Turkey Day. That's for sure. What's your feel with Dallas? It's a good offense to have pieces of because they're they're scoring and and you know they've they've shown us a lot this year, especially in comparison to what their offenses looked like in the past. Kellamore twenty twenty. <laughs> Speaking of twenty twenty, <laughs> I'm curious if they're able to re-sign Amari. You know, that is an interesting one. Um, I've been thinking about that quite a bit, and I'm I'm not necessarily sure if they'll want to. That's right. I don't because... even know if it works at all. Like it, it, it doesn't no. feel like it works other than the fact of the sunk cost fallacy that I hate, which is the fact that they paid a first round pick for him. Well, to me, it doesn't necessarily make that much sense. I mean, Michael Gallup has emerged in a big way. Um, we've seen, you know, Randall Cobb has had some pretty successful days in this offense and what they're going to have to pay Amari and then they're going to have to pay Dak uh, coming up in a draft that has a pretty good receiver crop and they have a first round pick again uh i could definitely see amari cooper playing elsewhere next season yeah for like so for fantasy amari he's on pace for his best fantasy season of his career right now but with that said i want to hit a couple of trends that have just plagued amari cooper through his illustrious career 
uh, not drops, even though he's famous for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first, he's been like he kind of. I said the Cowboys are inconsistent. Amari Cooper is inconsistent. This season, 33% of games, Amari Cooper is under 10 points in PPR, including a couple pure busts of zero or one point. Uh, 35% of his fantasy points this year have come in just two games. That accounts for like 15% of their games played. Uh, And that trend has followed him through his whole career, man. And the other thing that I think is important for fantasy is Amari Cooper splits. Like, I heard it during the halftime report, Travis. Terry Bradshaw made a great point. <laughs> never thought I'd say that. I never thought I'd say that out loud. Uh, but he talked about Amari being terrible on the road. So I looked into those splits, and Coop has some drastic home road splits. Uh, this season alone, at home, he has 47 catches, 758 yards, five touchdowns, almost 80% catch rate. In road games, Amari Cooper has just 17 catches, 213 yards, and just two touchdowns. And he's barely catching 50% of his balls. Uh, so through 12 games here, six games each at home, six games on the road, almost 75% of Amari Cooper's catches, 78% of his receiving yards, and over 70% of his touchdowns have come at home. Uh, he's When you look at his stats, he's probably the wide receiver one overall in home games. He averages over 25 points in PPR per game at home. And he's averaging you know, about eight points in PPR on the road. It's crazy. That's pretty wild splits, man. I didn't, uh, I didn't know that about him and definitely something to monitor going forward. Um, who knows the reason for that, but it's, it's definitely there. I actually noticed a little bit of a difference in his consistency this year. Um, if you take out his two games affected by in- injury, so week six, he only had 4% of the snaps and week 11, he had 56%. He's actually only gone under 10 PPR points twice. There was that zilcher in week 12. Um, but aside from that, you know, he's only gone under 10 twice. And he's only gone under 15 three times this year. So uh, I think, you know, as far as what he has done previously, um, it's been like a decently consistent season. And I think his owners are probably still fairly happy with him being the wide receiver seven right now. Um, But I think we've seen that he is still a little bit of the fantasy locust. Uh, Shout out to Tommy from the two on one podcast. Uh, They kind of coined the fantasy locust for for Amari Cooper because he's so inconsistent. Oh, he really is. We definitely have seen some of that this year. Um, but personally, I, I think he's been a little bit more consistent with that Dallas offense. And I think, you know, it is kind of a product of that Dallas offense. Yeah, it just, uh, it, it just sucks when you get those few games. And I, I mentioned all this because two of three fantasy football games. Uh, yeah, and I mentioned all this because two or three uh, fantasy playoff games are on the road for Amari Cooper. And the other one is against Jalen Ramsey. Uh, Weeks 11 and 12, he was completely eliminated by Darius Slay and uh, Stephen Gilmore. So I have a lot of concerns about Amari Cooper. I I worry about him going into playoffs here. Yeah, that's all valid, man. Chicago and the Rams are both in the top half of the league as far as fewest points allowed to the wide receivers. Um, The Eagles are bottom five, so that's that's a solid matchup. But I can't really see myself sitting Amari Cooper unless I have like a studly wide receiver corpse and you know he hasn't had a 200 yard game since week five so he's kind of due right (laughs) no you're right about that like he is on pace for his best fantasy season of his career and he's had a very a very good career but he's he's kind of a compiler at least you know he goes off for these huge games it's crazy yeah, absolutely. That's kind of why I jokingly mentioned the 200-yard games is because yeah, exactly. you know, he'll give yeah. you a bunch of duds and then he'll bust off 200 once you put him on, on your bench or something. <laughs> All right, so should we go even studlier and move over to another uh, Dome team, the Atlanta Falcons, and talk a bit of Julio? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, Julio has question marks because he's battling a shoulder injury right now. Uh, he's actually battling a terrible offense right now, too, for sure. <laughs> Burn. And, you know, they they erred on the side of caution with Julio. They sat him in week 13, which was kind of surprising. But even before that, fantasy owners may have had the crazy thought of doing the same thing. Like, he was, he's having a bad time right now. Uh, Julio hasn't scored since week three. It's been eight straight games. Now nine, I guess, or whatever. But that's he, he's had dry spells in the past, but that's the longest stretch of his career. Uh, he started last season with seven straight scoreless games. He did score in the next three games after that and had eight touchdowns in the final nine games of last year. So, you know, there is the scenario where he does kind of blow up with touchdowns, but you know, with the injury, the offense, quarterback play, the coaching, it's all, it's all a concern. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a little bit worried about Julio. Um, if, you know, if we look at his targets, yeah, he is on pace for 140 plus targets this year, uh, but he's only had double digit targets in four games so far. And he had double digit targets in nine games last year and eight in the year before, I believe. So, um, you know, he's, his targets are a little bit more spread out this year and, you know, he's going to finish the season with a lot of them, but it hasn't, hasn't been that, you know, 1400 plus yard season. Like, like he's had actually in the past five straight seasons, he's cleared 1400 yards and he's going to need to put in a lot of work to clear that this year. Yeah. He's, he's been like top three over the last five years and like every stat you can pull. It's just crazy. And the targets, you mentioned it, like it's, it's really too bad because the Falcons are the past heaviest team in the whole league. And Julio's only seeing a 22% target share right now, and that's outside the top 25 in the NFL. Uh, the last two seasons, he saw 28% of the share of the Falcons targets in both years. 2016, 26%. 2015, he saw 33% of the targets. Uh, like, you get the point. His share of the pie is just way down right now. And, man, I'm afraid for Julio owners down the stretch even. We're baking on oh, Julio. Yeah. yeah, like we're banking on him snapping his career-long in-season touchdown drought of eight games here. Uh, but on the schedule is matchups against the Panthers, the daunting 49ers, and maybe the reeling Jaguars could provide some relief in championship week. But, you know, you might be out with the 49ers matchup. It, it might sink your battleship. Yeah, that 49ers matchup is going to be tough. They they actually haven't allowed a team to pass for over 300 yards all season. And only twice this year have teams gone over 200 passing yards on the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so that is some pretty stellar defense they're playing. And, you know, if you look at their most recent matchup against kind of like one of those big alphas, they held Devontae Adams to 43 yards on seven receptions. Uh, sure, he did get the touchdown in that game, but that was that kind of cheapy flip pass that he got from Aaron Rodgers. So um, the, the San Francisco defense is no joke against wide receivers. Um, they're second best in the league with 16.4 points per game allowed to wide receivers. So you're not looking very good in that one. And then before that, against Carolina, uh, this coming week, he's got James Bradbury. So it's going to be a tough matchup um, if you can get to that Jacksonville matchup. Yeah, and he's Julio struggled against Carolina. Like he struggled. He, he had six catches for ninety yards in uh, Week Eleven. That's going to be a rematch of the Week Eleven game. Uh, but he, last year he averaged just twelve points per game PPR uh, against Carolina, which is eight points less than his season average. And yeah, you're right. He he's had issues with James Bradbury. So you're going to have to wait till Week Sixteen against the Jaguars for a good matchup. Um, but a lot of this kind of like some of these weeks do point that it might be Calvin Ridley time. I don't know with the trades and the injuries, you know, it, it's interesting. What do you think? Do you have any thoughts on Calvin Ridley? 
Yeah, well, he's, you know, you know that I love Calvin Ridley and I was on him hard coming into this season. Um, I'm not backing off of that fully because I do still really like the player and I think that situation can bear some fruit for him. Um, Just to lay out some of the positives, you know, he's been wide receiver three in the past three weeks. Uh, 23% of the targets in those three weeks, like, come on, can you give him that for an entire season, please? Um, He's number two in yardage and air yards in the league over that span. Kind of a funny thing I saw when I looked up that stat is that uh, in the past three weeks, Julian Edelman is leading the NFL in air yards. I thought that was a little bit funny. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, no one else. <laughs> yeah exactly. So um, not necessarily Julian Edelman's bag, but uh, good on him for that. Um, but as far as Ridley, you know, rest of the season for me, he's going to be a wide receiver too. Kind of what we thought he was going to be coming into the season. Um, it's just that upside that we're kind of hoping to see hasn't been shown consistently enough. Um, so it's completely fair for for those um, people to question Ridley. So so it's pretty fair for people to question Calvin Ridley, that's for sure. Yeah, and I, I think he's set up like better than Julio almost going down the stretch here, though. Like he he against the Panthers, he kind of has the Panthers number. He averages over twenty points per game in his three in his three career matchups against Carolina, and he's outscored Julio in all three of those games. And you know his best fantasy day this season came against him in Week Eleven. And you know going forward this year, I'd say Calvin really is capped at wide receiver two with upside status, so to speak, but. You know, I shouldn't whine. There's, I just think there's untapped fantasy potential. You mentioned the target share. He's, like, outside the top 60 amongst target share in the NFL. I just think there's a lot of room uh, if there wasn't so many other people involved, you know? I'm talking to you, Blake, Gage, Jaden Graham. You're cool. <laughs> yeah, Jaden Graham's cool. Yeah, you're, you're cool. You're and cool. for Julio, for fantasy, I think he's kind of prohibited from being a top five wide receiver if he's back healthy, you know, in my opinion. Just the matchups are just that difficult he's more of a top 12 wide receiver now with like touchdown regression on the horizon as his upside but i just i actually don't think he's gonna hit any of that right with these really difficult matchups yeah for sure i don't think we're gonna see a late season surge like we saw from julio last year he had a bunch of touchdowns down the stretch last year which is great for fantasy owners but you kind of touched on his value there. Um, what do you think as far as dynasty, like going into next year, where do you think rankers are going to have him um, amongst all those wide receivers? Yeah, for Julio and dynasty, it's really tricky because he's, he, I'll put it this way, he's a clear hold, you know, you, you, you're going to die on the Julio Hill. Uh, that's the way you have to treat a player like that. He's not an AJ Green where you can get out on him because we see the signals, you know, Julio's just that good, I think. If, if you want to get out on him in this offseason for a 2021st, I don't blame anybody at all, though. That's for sure. But I'm, I'm definitely not buying Julio. Or drafting him in the early rounds of a startup. That's for sure. Yeah, that's just it. I think, you know, he moves he moves from that like top six wide receiver into like a back end wide receiver one for me. Um, there's going to be a lot of moving parts there. The coaching staff is probably going to change. Austin Hooper will be back next year. Uh, Matt Ryan looks like he's on the downside of his career. So there's going to be a lot of moving parts with that offense. Um, so I'm only, only buying into Julio if he's a bargain. Um, and I would be really trying to play off that age and what to, to get the price down. So with him wind, so with Julio kind of like winding down, so to speak, or at least in Roddy White phase, do you think uh, Calvin Ridley is going to ascend here in the next year or two? Do you, do you think the third year breakout is kind of on the horizon for Calvin Ridley? Because he really hasn't had the the big ascension that we've seen from DJ Moore, or, you know, someone like that. 
Totally. And, you know, like, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big Calvin Ridley truther and I'm not necessarily expecting that anymore. I was expecting it coming into this season, um, but I've tempered that a little bit because I don't necessarily see, you know, Julio's not going anywhere. Austin Hooper's going to be back. Uh, Matt Ryan is on the decline, but he's still going to be there. So, you know, not much in this situation for Ridley is going to change going into next season. Uh, so aside from the coaching staff, probably. So I don't really see that third year wide receiver breakout in huge fashion um but i could see him kind of putting up numbers maybe similar to his rookie season so he's definitely a guy i'm monitoring as somebody who i have on a couple rosters and somebody who i really really like as a player there's so many guys that are just killing it right now in their second year at wide receiver so let's do a quick would you rather calvin ridley or dj Moore? uh dj Moore. yeah we know he's going to be the wide receiver one there ridley or dj chark uh dj chark again he's the alpha and i think he's going to keep it up so another one of your BFFs, Cortland Sutton or Calvin Ridley? Oh, it's it's Sutton, man. It uh, That would have been a close one for me coming into the season, but it's not now because Sutton's got that role and it doesn't really matter what quarterback's in there for him uh, as far as we can tell. Right on. Uh, okay, so now I'm starting to get hot and bothered. What about Calvin Ridley or Christian Kirk? Oh, one of your guys. Yeah. Um, I've been liking Christian Kirk quite a bit this year. This is a really, really close one. Uh, I think, I think for me, the kicker on this is Kyler Murray. And I think it's Christian Kirk by a hair for me because uh, of Kyler Murray, because of that offense. Um, that's, that's just kind of a skyrocket that offense for me. Big time. What about, uh, last one, uh, Calvin Ridley, Michael Gallup. Uh, See, I think I'm me, still taking Ridley on that. Give me Michael Gallup all Ridley. day, just in case really? Amari leaves, and just in case uh, Kellen Moore is the head coach in 2020. That's a really good point. There's if a Amari few reasons leaves, I really yeah. like Gallup for 2020. Yeah, if Amari leaves, um, I would probably switch over to Gallup. Zeke's um, on the decline. That passing game is going to be the, the focal point of that offense in 2020. Yeah, totally. I can definitely see that. Um, and Gallup has looked fantastic this year. So I could see I could see that situation changing. And to be honest, like it, it, if that situation changes, you're still going to have to get on to Gallup now. You're not going to be able to buy him going into next season. Exactly. Um, so much like right now, I say right now I would go with Calvin Ridley. That being said, if I wanted to acquire Michael Gallup, um, now is going to be the time to do it. Yeah. Now, now, now. Pretty pretty wild ascension we're seeing from that 2018 uh, wide receiver class. We were kind of unsure on them coming into this year, and then they've definitely blossomed, that's for sure. Yeah, even Russell Gage. <laughs> yeah, Russell and Gage, he's been putting in some good work as of late. Last, last note is uh, week 15 should be the deadline where we will see Austin Hooper in fantasy lineups here before the end of the season, so don't. Don't forget about Austin Hooper. He's the reason that we have a little bit of apprehension towards Calvin Ridley is because Austin Hooper has exploded onto the scene for sure. Yeah, he he's had a great year. I think he's still top five in the tight end ranks and he's missed uh, quite a few games already. So it's a crazy year for Austin Hooper and definitely a, a different year for that Falcons offense than we thought we were going to see. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we talked a little bit of them up in the running back portion. We are going to go back to Cleveland, Ohio with the dog pound. We got Odell Beckham Jr. He has been a very frustrating wide receiver to own. Um, you know, he's had a pretty decent share of opportunity there. So uh, I know that you've got Odell on at least one team that we're in a league together. Um, so what do you think about Odell here? 
Yeah, I mean, we we talked Odell a bit a couple episodes ago. It's gotten worse. Like this is this first. This is the point in the schedule we mentioned where OBJ could explode. But yeah, like no signs of life lately. Like Jesus Murphy, it's it's been brutal. Uh, it lends so much credence to wide receivers not producing for fantasy football in their first year of a new offense. Uh, especially if that new offense in Cleveland has been far less potent than we all thought it would be heading into the season. By the way. It, and yep. and Baker Mayfield hasn't taken a step. He's taken a step in the wrong direction. If anything, it's it's brutal. And you know Odell Beckham's wallet is not hurting, but these are some of the numbers that are hurting him. The Browns are 21st in points per game, 17th passing yards, 23rd in passing touchdowns. Odell's seen stats he's dominated the league and just up and disappear. Like Odell having two touchdowns is kind of jaw dropping and. The red zone usage just leaves you speechless. Like, it's 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 wild. Meanwhile, Jarvis Landry leads the NFL in percent of his team's red zone targets. He has, like, 30% of the Browns' targets inside the 20 and, like, 45% of the red zone touchdowns. It's it's so unfair. And, you know, even for PPR, Odell has some knocks. He hasn't had a game uh, with eight catches as a Brown yet. He had 20 of those games uh, with eight catches or more in the Apple. It's, I don't know, it's depressing. Calm down, man. Relax, guys. Relax, dude. No, but it's going to be all right. I don't know everything's going to be all right, but right now it's just horde. Yeah, well put, man. I want to touch a little bit more on that red zone usage. It's been so brutal. Odell Beckham only has seven targets inside the 20-yard line, and he only has one reception there. So that's one red zone reception for probably the most talented, one of the most talented wide receivers in the league um, and you talked about Jarvis too he's got 16 red zone targets so that's more than double what Odell has he has 10 grabs on those 16 targets for five touchdowns so Jarvis Landry has really been getting the work in the red zone which is just puzzling with how amazing Odell Beckham has been in his career down when you get close to pay dirt so um, you know there have been some opportunities as far as you know he's 12th in targets in the league uh, tied for six in the NFL with 25% of his team targets and he's fifth in the league in air yards um, but the opportunities he hasn't had is those red zone ones like we mentioned so uh, it's been tough sledding for Odell and uh, I own him and I know you you own him in a in a league so it's been really really tough to own him and confidently start him that's for sure let's put obj's struggles into perspective here's his fantasy points per game in ppr starting from his rookie season 24.6 21.3 18.5 18.5 again last year he had 19.2 points per game in ppr this year odell is sitting at 12.4 points per game in ppr but Damn. but there is a big ray of hope, I'd say, for OBJ, like for real. <laughs> it like lies in the schedule over the next two weeks. The Browns play the Bengals and the Cardinals. So OBJ theoretically has big touchdown upside and the get right game narratives totally attached to him. He should be a wide receiver one over those two weeks in theory. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's it. I'm totally with you on that, because if we look at the last six games that they've played, they've had Pittsburgh, Miami, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Denver, New England. So the only easy matchup in there was Miami, and that's the game where you put up over 20 PPR points. Um, so like, like you said, there's definitely a glimmer with that uh, cake schedule, especially in the next two weeks. Yeah, and in week you talk about a schedule in week four, uh, Odell had his worst week of the season for fantasy, and that was against Marlon Humphreys. And that's who uh, Marlon Humphrey, and that's who Baltimore uh, is, you know, OBJ's opponent in week 16 for fantasy championship. So that's tough. But but this matchup against the Bengals and the Cardinals coming up, it, it should be good. He should at least snap his drought of six games without 100 yards receiving straight. That's the longest he's gone in his career between 100-yard receiving games by far. Hell yeah, let's go, Odell. 
Where's your killer instinct, son? You gotta get angry! You gotta get mean! That's the only way you can play! All right, moving on from the dog pound, we are going to talk about the Carolina Panthers. One little note, too, is uh, just before, or a couple hours before we started taping this, Ron Rivera was fired in Carolina. So just kind of something I want to mention. Not really sure what that means for fantasy. I would like to think it doesn't mean a whole lot going forward for the rest of this season, uh, but you never really know, I guess. Uh, but anyway, we're going to talk about their ascending wide receiver. Uh, we touched on him in that Would You Rather game, DJ Moore. He has had a fantastic season this year, Ty. Uh, and I know you love him and I know that you've got a bunch on him. So why don't you uh, give us a little quick ups on him? I gave a quick ups on Dalvin Cook earlier. So it's your turn. Why don't you hit us with some DJ more? Yeah, I mean, DJ. I've been, I've been calling him DJ Mo Money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's just going off and we definitely expected this. And him and DJ Chark are like the two big breakout wide receivers this season. That's for sure. Uh, and right now he, for season long, he's just booming because his dynasty value is just off the charts right now. He, he's one of those guys just flying up dynasty ranks. Uh, and we should note that Greg Olson is the other change in this offense. Uh, he's injured right now. Maybe the biggest injury of week 13. There really wasn't much there for injuries. Uh, so DJ Moore, who sees his targets shallow and in the middle of the field, he's going to be the big benefic- uh, beneficiary for fantasy uh, behind Christian McCaffrey, of course. Uh, but DJ Moore is seeing 25% of Carolina's targets. That's top 10 in the NFL right now. And he's also a top 10 wide receiver for PPR leagues right now. He's just on a tear. And before week eight, Moore had played 23 career games and he had just three touchdowns, had over 95 yards receiving just once. In the last five games, he has three touchdowns and Moore is over 95 yards receiving in four of the last five games. So, you know, playing the Falcons, Seahawks, and Colts, I have almost no worries about the schedule. Uh, one more stat, only two players have more than 1,200 air yards and 300 yards after the catch right now, and those players are Nuke Hopkins and DJ Mo Money, apparently. Mo Money? Mo Money. Nice. And not Mo Problems in this situation. Yeah, that's why I, I don't know if I'm totally on board with that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe in, fa- in fantasy yeah. football, Mo Money is not Mo Problems, yeah, let's say that. definitely not DJ Mo. Because the nickname's dope, all right? (laughs) (laughs) So where do you think this puts Curtis Samuel in dynasty rankings? I was just looking at that, actually, just because you mentioned that schedule, and I was going to see what you thought about Curtis Samuel kind of going forward for this season. But as far as dynasty rankings, um, that's tricky, man. Not as high as he was coming in this year, in my opinion. Yeah. it's funny, actually, though, he has more air yards than does DJ Moore. He just hasn't converted as well as DJ Moore. And and this passing game in general is one that I was wrong on coming into the season. I didn't think DJ Moore was going to have this kind of breakout. So uh, hats off to him for that. And I think Curtis Samuel, you know, despite the targets and despite the air yards, he's kind of disappointed. He does have the five touchdowns, which has helped quite a bit. But going into next year... Uh, you know, wide receiver three for Curtis Samuel and not necessarily the most confident one for me. What do you think? I have no, yeah, I don't know. I have zero interest right now in dynasty, zero interest. He's overvalued. Always has been to me a little bit. I do like that. You know, he has that kind of Konami code rushing upside as a wide receiver, uh, can go deep. He has great downfield ability. Great. He can high point the ball. He's totally underrated when it comes to a talent. The problem is situation is just terrible. We have to wait and see what happens at quarterback. Right now, Kyle Allen is playing some of the worst football in the whole NFL. I mean, he, I think he's number two in the NFL in uh, turnover-worthy plays on PFF. He, he's just, he's really playing some ugly ball. He has, I think he had four picks this week. Like, you just can't, 
you, you can't trust the second wide receiver who's the third option in the passing game behind the running back and DJ Moore. And then going and for next year, you know, like I just don't know who the quarterback's going to be. It could be Will Greer, it could be Cam Newton, uh, it could be Marcus Mariota. I just have no idea. You know, we'll have to totally. see. We don't even know who the coach is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I could, you know, I could see them bringing in one of those offensive minds. I think their owner said that he wants to bring a mix of old school toughness and new school processes i think was the quote um so who knows what that means but you know i could see them going with this trend of bringing in a young offensive mind um because they tried it with ron rivera the defensive guy and the defense has been trash so um trying something new brand new owner wants to put his own stamp on it um there's going to be a lot of changes in carolina and you know the only guys i think that come out of that uh, looking as good as they have this year are dj moore and Kristen mccaffrey so i'm with you i'm off curtis samuel To train the dolphin, you must think like the dolphin. You must be getting inside the dolphin's head and communicating. I'm saying to Snowflake, and he is saying, and he is up on the tail. And you can quote him. Devontae Parker. Uh, what a day, huh? Yeah, it was, his, it was, it was a day. It was a career day, in fact. It was actually uh, for Devontae Parker. Um, sorry, I'll take the lead here. I was kind of touting him just a little bit last week. I didn't uh, plant my flag huge on him, so uh, no victory laps here. But I was really excited to see that he had a big game with seven catches, 159 yards, and two touchdowns. Just clowning my Eagles defensive backs, so you know, kind of bittersweet for me, but we liked seeing the 10 targets out of him as well. Uh, that's four games in a row where he's got double-digit targets. It's actually the first game of his career where he went over 22 PPR points. So that was awesome for Parker. And I mean, that's a five-year career. So um, I don't know if that says more about what he's done this year or more about what he's done the past four years, but we'll move on from that. It was actually his first game with multiple touchdowns as well. So uh, Devontae Parker has been sick the last few weeks, and uh, I think he's going to keep it rolling for the rest of the season. What do you think? Yeah, I think he has been sick, sick with the Fitzmagic flu or the Fitzmagic dust or whatever. The game against the Eagles was hilarious. I thought it kind of like personified Huckett and Jacket football. Uh, he threw so many YOLO balls. It was just hilarious. Like the game, the game was tight and they were even leading in the second half, but Fitzmagic just kept chucking it up for Parker. And, you know, they, they were, they were pretty well-placed balls. They were just total 50-50 balls. And Parker made at least a handful of high point contested catches that were incredible and, you know, he's always been underrated as a route runner and as, you know, at, at his size. And obviously his high point contest catchability was on full display against Jalen Mills. Don't tell you that. And yeah, on that one touchdown, he just went up. He just kept snatching balls. And that one, he turned up for the sideline, turned up sideline for his first touchdown. was beautiful. His second touchdown was a contested catch in the in the end zone. And yeah, he just really, he looked like an alpha wide receiver one for a team out there. But check this out, Trav. Screech! <laughs> um, for, Dyna- <laughs> for Dynasty, I'm pumping the brakes and, uh, like, pumping the brakes hard. Like, ejecting myself out the front windshield or whatever <laughs> happens. Uh, like, number one, any quarterback not named Fitzmagic won't be so inclined to be throwing these 50-50 balls on half their attempts. And the Dolphins will have a new, younger quarterback next season, I think. And number two, Preston Williams will be there. Uh, he's way better. And Parker will be a Dolphin in 2020. I there's I've heard a couple or read a couple things saying that he's playing a contract year. That's not true. He's got a team option for Miami, I think for like 5 million bucks. So he'll definitely be on the Dolphins, Devontae Parker, alongside Preston Williams and a new quarterback. And honestly, fifth year breakout wide receivers, 
they they can be a thing, but those players being fantasy value for years to come, it's that's just unprecedented. Like it doesn't happen. But yeah, for uh, I'll admit that I am wrong for the time being on Devontae Parker. Holy, it's too late, but I'm in. Yeah. Like I tap. Yeah, <laughs> Uncle, <laughs> Uncle. Yeah, man. Um, don't get me wrong. I am not in on Devontae Parker in Dynasty. Uh, if you have him on a roster, sure. If you have him already there, that's fine. But he's not somebody I'm actively trying to go after or anything like that. Um, it's just more rest of season. That schedule looks pretty good. He's got the Jets and the Giants up next. Uh, Both of them give up over 25 PPR points per game to wide receivers. And then he's got the Cincinnati Bengals in the final week of the season. So that's a pretty solid matchup. So it's kind of like I said last week, I want to catch this 15 minutes of fame uh, for Devontae Parker. And we are right in the thick of it. And I don't know if he's going to get another 15. uh, So I'm here for that. Yeah, and I mean, where I got Devontae Parker wrong is is the ceiling. Like, he's already equaled his touchdown total over the last three years in 2018 with six touchdowns. And, yeah, Fitzmagic just keeps targeting Parker in the end zone constantly. And, he, I mean, let's do this, Trav. Parker, he's really sweeping up scoreboards. He's a wide receiver, too, in PPR now. Um, rank these players, T-Rav. John Brown, Calvin Ridley, Devontae Parker. All three are hot right now. All three are within five points of each other in PPR. We're talking dynasty, rest of season. What are you talking? Right now, rest of season. John Brown, Calvin Ridley, Devontae Parker. Damn, dude. I might rank Devontae I think, Parker first. I think Devontae <laughs> Parker is first. That schedule is juicy, and the yeah. other, other two have rough schedules. So it's going to go Devontae Brown, Parker for John me. Brown's schedule is so tough. Yeah, it's probably one of the worst wide receivers in the league. And then, you know, Calvin Ridley has a pretty brutal schedule as well, but he does have Julio draw in coverage. So I think it goes Devontae Parker, Calvin Ridley, and then John Brown. And I love John Brown. Yeah, I think I'm ranking him the same. And we got to remember Austin Hooper for Calvin Ridley as well. He's on the He's on the mend. Yes, he is. Cool, man. So I think that about does it. About does her. About does her for this episode. So uh, yeah, that was our week 13 takeaways. We hope uh, we hope we were able to provide some information to help uh, fantasy players going into their playoffs. We hope all of our listeners made their playoffs and we hope we could have been even a minuscule part of that. So thank you for letting us along for the ride with you. And thank you for joining us for the ride. Ty, you got any uh, parting words? Uh, none. None whatsoever. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right on so yeah um keep your eyes peeled for our content we love putting it out for everybody don't forget to visit the website at truenorthffb.com you can find me on twitter at tcl14 you can find ty at tnff tyrell and feel free to connect with us at truenorthffb on twitter once again thank you for listening we can't wait to bring you another one and good luck in the fantasy playoffs peace